This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by seven awesome people. Greg Ross, Illuminati, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Kurt Magnuski, and Michael Fritschi. Thank you all for helping make this show possible. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And tonight I have with me Barbara Fisher. Hey, how's it going? From Six Degrees of John Keel and Ren Collier. Hey, everyone. From... I don't, I don't know. Where are you from? The internet. <laughs> Ren's nest. The, the liminal bird himself. Mm-hmm. Is, is, lim, now liminal, is liminal bird your, your, your Twitter handle? It is, yes. Does, does it still work now that it's X? Uh, yes, it still okay. works. That's still it, yeah. And um, also, I think it's the same name on Blue Sky as well. I'm also on that now. Ah, well, I mean, you know, it's it's not a blue bird anymore. So, I mean, liminal bird doesn't shouldn't it be liminal yeah, X? That's true. I, you know, honestly, the whole like liminal thing, everyone has that or uses that term now. Um, but I literally started using that term. I don't know, like fifteen years ago, because it was in an anime I watched. Oh, so like I was really ahead of the curve on that one. I just wanted. <laughs> I I don't think that term came into my usage until I read Hanson. Yeah, I I never read it anywhere before, uh, like seeing it, and and I think it was the Dot Hack anime, and uh, that must have been like I don't know, like two thousand six or something. Oh, see, I I was using it in English papers and sh- um a long time ago to discuss you know those those in between places and times and and stuff like that that you find in in uh, romantic poetry. So. Mm. I got you both beat, but that's (laughs) not too surprising. I'm older than you both are. I'm pretty sure. So, and 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 try not to swear, Barbara. (laughs) I will try. I'm always the one that that screws it up. That's okay. I could just mark it and delete it. (laughs) There she goes again. (laughs) Um. Yeah. Liminality came into my worldview from Hanson, and then Jeff Ritzman, of course, really kind of focused in on it. Yeah. He he he. He liked that word. Yeah, well, he also got it from Hanson. So it's become a really hot term lately because of the whole backrooms thing and like uh, sort of this internet meme obsession with liminal spaces. It's like airports, empty shopping malls, that sort of thing. It's like a nice, uh, nice post post consumerist wasteland thing that that's going on at the moment. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, there's there's all these great places that could be repurposed for useful things, and they just sit empty. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it does capture like a certain eeriness. I mean, anyone who's done like urban exploration kind of gets this, but uh, like sort of the eeriness of a place that's meant to have people in it, but is mm-hmm. completely empty, like a you know, like an empty mall, for instance. Like, yeah. I don't know if people ever gotten out of a movie uh, like you know, 2 a.m. or something in the mall and everything's closed and it's just all the lights are still on, but there's no one in there. And it's, it's, it can be very spooky. And, um, that whole like backrooms subgenre of like YouTube horror 
stuff uh, really captures that really well. I always love that feeling, actually. It's a cool feeling. I mean, I think that's why it's so attractive to people because it's it's eerie, but it's also comforting in a way. It's like it's like uh, I would pick up a friend of mine from New York City at like three in the morning during the week, and oh, there'd yeah. be nothing. And mm-hmm. it's like it's New York City, and there's no cars on the road. You know, it's like this. Yeah. This is awesome. I always remember really loving that time of night when like all the bars would close and there'd be like no one on the roads or the streets and the lights would switch over uh, to just blinking red. Mm -hmm. Oh, they don't do that here. Yeah. They did that in Alabama in the little town I was from. And it was just, it was always kind of uh, surreal because it was very quiet. There was no one out, no one, no other cars. And um, yeah, just these, these lights that normally go green and red all day and this predictable pattern is flashing red. Huh. All right. Yeah, that's that that is that is one of the reasons I like being up at night is that that sense of like nothing no no one being around. Yeah, witching hour. I mean, that's where we get that from. And it's also one of one of the things about, you know, post-COVID that drives me crazy is that the no stores here are open 24 hours anymore. Same here. Yeah, I would I used to be like, okay, I got to go shopping. I'll go at 3 unless I need to pick up a prescription or something. I'm going at like 2 or 3 in the morning when there's nobody in the store. Yep. And and I felt like the dumbest thing they did during the pandemic when they locked everything down, they're like, "Well, go to the store when less people are there." And all the stores like minimized their hours. Yeah. And, and I'm yeah. like, you did the opposite of what you should do. You should you should be encouraging people to go at like midnight. You know, yeah. Instead, yeah. you're closing at six. It wasn't the brightest thing that was done. No. But anyway, tonight we are going to talk uh, not not quite about disclosure. Um, I'm, I'm not even sure how to define what we're going to talk about here. Um, it's uh, it's 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 a mix of of some of the stuff we're seeing in the disclosure movement that Ren mm-hmm. actually called a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so why, why don't you start Ren? Okay. Yeah. So, um, when a lot of these hearings, like the Grush hearings and stuff started coming out and I noticed that there was a real hesitancy to use the word, um, uh, extraterrestrial, right? Like right. it was consistently the term like non-human was used and even thinking back in retrospect, uh, the move away from flying saucer and UFO to UAP kind of fits this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it became clear to me that what was probably going on was that the, the big reveal, the big disclosure, and there were constantly guys who were like, oh, when you really learn about the disclosure, it's going to be something that you didn't expect. It's going to be stranger than people realize. And uh, I think some people should have already seen the writing on the wall in this anyway, considering the Secret Machines book that came out, you know, when when the To the Stars stuff first popped out. Um, Lavinda's involvement in that should have been a clue to people. But that um, I I pretty much knew. And then plus two, learning who is in this sort of grush circle, right? Like learning that it's all just ex-aviary guys. It's like Hal Putoff. It's the same old characters. Yeah, they've been around forever, and I was like, "They're going to make this into a Collins elite UFOs and aliens are actually demons, spiritual warfare thing, like 100." percent And the the other shield on that hasn't completely dropped. They haven't just come out and said that, 
But then uh, recently, there's this ex-CIA guy, Jim Simivan. <laughs> Simivan? I don't know how to pronounce his last I name. I think it's, it's Simivan, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. So he's he's did this whole interview where he's talking about that there's some kind of non-human intelligence that's living with us on this planet and that it can control people's minds and put thoughts in their head and it can like manipulate society and it's just it's just demons i mean it's just spirits like it's just this idea and what's frustrating about it to me is that compared to the alternative like the extraterrestrial hypothesis they're actually closer to what mm. i believe is the truth than, yeah. than you know yeah. et folks like yep. like cuz i do believe that these uh, things are probably not aliens, but are non-human, probably some psychic in nature. And, you know, I'm, I do stuff in the occult, so I definitely believe in, like, spirits and the reality of that sort of world. But I also don't cover it in the same sort of blanket way. I, like, they're they're obviously looking at it from this, uh, like, Christian eschatological framework. And, right. like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Barbara, how do you feel about, like, some of the stuff that's okay. been... Okay, well... When he said there's a non-human intelligence living amongst us, I was like, dude, tell me something that I don't already know. <laughs> like, seriously. Um, I was glad to see him not bringing up E.T. Mm-hmm. That's that's definitely a step in a, in a right direction. I find it troublesome that they're looking at it purely from a fundamentalist, Christian sometimes kind of Jewish and sometimes kind of Muslim, but mostly Christian worldview that insists that the, the, the writings of John the revelator are true and -hmm. it's going to happen just like that. Mm -hmm. And that therefore it means any non-human intelligence that does not say fear not and, and come in a burst of light and tell you that he's from God you should be afraid of. And I think that's going to be used and manipulated. And there's just way too much dominionism in there wanting to, you know, turn our government into a Christian theist mess. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, what's going to happen at that point, people like you and I, Ren, and, you know, Soraya with his, you know, long hair and, heavy metal we're all going to be you know the bad guys yeah because we have conversations with non-human intelligences yeah well, and that, yeah. that's the scary part for me because I've, I've definitely been hypothesizing around that angle about if if you're claiming that there is this intangible non-human intelligence that can control people's minds well, it's not that difficult to then move straight to, to witch trials, right? And mm-hmm. say someone is like the way they are, um, you know, maybe maybe they're gay because uh, an alien demon, non-intelligent, non-human intelligence is like possessing them and making them that way. Right, right. You know, right. and this quickly gets into some very dark territory. It and sure does. Scared of. That's like a legitimate fear that I have about the way this is going. I mean, I, I guess... <laughs> What, what has been interesting seeing this develop is that it really seems like there are multiple factions, too, though, that are, like, fine for this narrative. Like, you, you have this sort of uh, Collins Elite aviary angle, which, you know, is, is very much this sort of fundamentalist um, apocalyptic thing. Um, but then I think you also sort of have, too, a contingent of 
maybe like military guys who are interested in the uh, in the phenomena for for like in so much as they can get like Lockheed Martin and Boeing like big contracts to like research it. Right. And there, there's like a military industrial faction involved in this oh, yeah. discussion as well. Um, and I, I don't feel like those two factions are necessarily cooperating. And um, then then I think you have people like Valet who's like, okay, so they're non-human intelligences from here. Good. Hey, do we really have to have that demon thing? Yeah. <laughs> do we really have to, you know, have that Christian taint all over that that's going to be fascist and creepy? You know, and so yeah. there's other people there, but man, I haven't read the Collins Elite book in, in forever because I didn't like it because it scared me. Mm. Um, I didn't not like it because I thought it was wrong. <laughs> I thought it was correct, and I didn't want to read it again. I've n- uh, I've never actually read it, so do you want to give people a little bit of a, a little idea of what it is? Ren, you start off. <laughs> okay. Because so, you've read it more recently than me, I think. Yeah. So Final Events is a book by Nick Redfern. Actually, when was this published? I'm like holding my copy of it right now. Because there's an interesting passage I was going to read from it. That Yeah, so this is 2010. Wow. Then it's really spooky. Uh, mm-hmm. he was, um, it's a book about Nick's encounters with this guy, uh, a Reverend Ray Boucher, who is this guy who claims that, uh, he's, he's like a, a religious, I think he's like a preacher. He was, uh, approached by a group of sort of, uh, like a secret group within the U S military industrial complex that he called the Collins elite that basically believed that UFOs and aliens, all that kind of stuff was a demonic invasion. And that they were trying to control people's minds or basically like bring about the end times. They're going to like eat our souls and, and all this kind of stuff. And there's it's Red for himself doesn't like really go into some of the history of like the Collins elite. And I always wondered about that name. And it wasn't until I read um, Go Rightly's Saucer Spooks and Kooks that I realized where this was coming from. Uh, the, the Collins name actually comes from the aviary member, Air Force Captain Robert Collins. Um, and the aviary itself was <laughs> what is the um, there's a thing about the aviary in this where what does he say about it? Yeah, so uh, Dr. Ron Pandolfi, he was a member of the aviary and he informed uh, he was talking to who's this guy. Vince Johnson in the early 90s, and he described the aviary as nothing more than the product of a somewhat deranged mind of retired Air Force Captain Robert Collins. Pandolfi said that Collins was discharged from the Air Force after breaching the security perimeter at the Manzano nuclear weapons storage facility at Kirkland AFB. And when taken into custody by base security, Collins told them that he was there to meet the president. Um, but the, the aviary itself was a group of military guys and civilian researchers like Hal Putoff who were studying the UFO phenomena from like a psychic angle. And it's, it's weird. Like I would love to know like where some of them fall on some of this, uh, on some of these lines. Cause I don't think they're all in that same uh, apocalyptic boat, but there's one guy in particular, Dan T Smith, who was known to the aviary as chicken little. Mm-hmm. And he was apparently, um, this was in like the early 90s, and this guy was claiming that there were grave concerns by high government officials about impending metaphysical catastrophe, the eschaton or the end of the world. Um, and, and in a 1993 article, 
um, that Vince Johnson guy I mentioned before wrote, according to Smith, UFOs are primarily a psychological metaphysical phenomenon, which are both preparing us and pressuring us to develop our own psychic abilities. Not that UFOs are a single type of entity. Smith asserts that there are powers and principalities, which is the line from the Bible, at work, presumably supernatural entities like angels and demons. Furthermore, he said that a radical program of parapsychological research and development is currently underway near Los Alamos, New Mexico. The group's development of psychokinesis, psychotronics, um, a term used to denote psychic warfare techniques, represents a danger of astrological proportions. Uh, these techniques have been available but controlled throughout history. Now other entities are forcing the issue, said Smith, which is interesting because I've, I've long speculated that the uh, remote viewing program was shut down by Collins Elite sort of influence and that would line up with what dan smith was saying here where he's like looking at the psychic research stuff and being like no we don't need to mess with this like this is what they want us to like involve ourselves with um but um in in nick redfern's book he goes into sort of it's a long book but it basically goes into what he believes or what he not what nick believes but he interviews some different people who are part of the group and like what they believe the end goal of all this is. Um, it said in, in 2010, he was talking to this guy, Robert Manners, who was uh, sort of involved in this stuff. And um, this guy says in this kind of like eerie passage at the end, uh, can you imagine the entire country maybe 10 years from now? So like literally right now. <laughs> and after the next 9-11, a dirty bomb in a big city, maybe policed and controlled by the U.S. military, an army totally convinced and believing that what they're doing is according to what God wants and that will save the U.S. from a satanic threat. That's the crux of what's going on. Indoctrinate troops today for when they're needed here tomorrow. I call it biblical big brother. Just watch. Ten years from now, the U.S. military will be indistinguishable from religious warriors. That's the plan. Save the country by keeping it under a religious iron fist and enforcing Christianity on everyone. But if that's to be the future of Christianity, I'm not sure it's worth it. It's not the Christianity I want taught. And I mean, you do you do see this at a, some political quarters? Yes, you do. Um, I don't know if you necessarily see it out of the military, though. There's a, a lot of, uh, not brass, but uh, lower level command figures who deal with Soldiers, not desk jockeys, but people who actually are in command of men uh, who who do Bible verses and talks with their soldiers. I mean, mm. there's been there's been um, cases of that happening, and then soldiers will complain, and then there there's an investigation. It, it's fairly common. There's Bible circles in in the barracks and stuff like that. They're trying. I don't know how well they're succeeding. But they're trying. Hmm. Yeah, there's a there's another bit uh, earlier in the book um, where he's talking to that same guy, Robert Manners. And Manners apparently left the Collins elite because of sort of these plans and this sort of blue beam project, blue beam kind of thing that they wanted to do. Um, like because what he became or, or apparently what he said the plan was, was to like do like an Ozymandias Watchmen style thing, right, where. You convince people uh, on a large scale that this is real, right? And you do it as a way to like keep them from. It's 
God, how do I explain this? Like, what, what, you make people it? believe it's real so that then, like, you can control the way they think about it and therefore, like, prevent these entities from actually, like, hijacking people's brains or something. Um, yeah, it sounds real sus to me, really. Um, <laughs> isn't up. Bluebeam, weren't they talking about faking the second coming? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. In itself, like, Which is, isn't real, but... The idea of using a sort of deception like that as a right. like control thing, that totally is real. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's there, there's people who've been trying to bring about the second coming by forcing the issue, which is totally extra biblical nonsense. Yeah. Um, but I mean, people have been talking about that in the, in the fundamentalist churches since the late 70s, early 80s. So, you know, we'll bring Jesus back if we do this to fulfill this prophecy, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it's not, it's not, you know, put tab A in slot B and you get Jesus. Right. It's not, right. that's not, <laughs> it says none shall know of my coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right there <laughs> in the and, red letters. And, and, and I want to be clear that we're not attacking people who are Christians here. This is this is no. a more of a manipulation strategy by people in higher ranking positions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely not. I was reading the Bible earlier today. Definitely have no antipathy towards Christianity. Um there's a there's another line along that same line, Barbara, uh, before that, where he's talking to this Robert Manners guy, and um, he's talking about why he left the Collins elite. And he said, the mere discussion of such a plan was enough to make the man leave the Collins elite, never to return. Trying to expose deceptive entities via the creation of another deception was not where I wanted to go, the man <laughs> told me. The irony of all this, he said, was that the ruse of trying to save the souls of the people of Earth via the implementation of a stage-managed religious charade designed to convert one and all to Christianity might ultimately only help fulfill the ancient prophecies by unwittingly opening the door for the Antichrist to take control of a new world order-style future. In other words, what the bogus Project Bluebeam stories foretell could actually occur. Um, But then I know, too, there are people who want to fill those in time prophecies because they believe that, you know, they, they get it started, the rest of it will fall into place. So right. it almost makes me wonder, too, if, if this isn't just part of that, that eschatology, like wanting to, you know, light the fire, basically, for the end times um, by convincing everyone that, that UFOs are actually demons. Has anyone actually said that in the disclosure movement yet? <sighs> They're, they shy away from actually saying that. The closest I think anyone has said to something like that is Whitley Strieber um, referring to these entities as the jinn, which, you know, the jinn themselves aren't necessarily demons, not right. in the same way we think in Christianity, but um, close enough to some people. And um, that, I think that's about as close as it's gotten. I actually, what I... I'm I'm curious how this is going to play out because I don't necessarily expect for them to come out swinging with the the Christian angle. I hope right? not. I think like the first idea is uh, the first step in it is to get to get people to believe that these are not necessarily extraterrestrials, but are some sort of intangible non-human entity that that lives among us, and then you can kind of work the other stuff in more subtly. Well, it it seems like they've just. I mean, for what I've seen, they sort of replaced evil alien with evil interdimensional, evil something else. Like, but yeah. evil is always a part of that. Like, they're always they're always there as harmful things. Yeah. 
which and is even oh good even Streber he'll mm-hmm. go back and forth with his visitors as to whether they're evil or not yeah yeah like it's it's <laughs> in the same book he'll he'll be like oh well this is they they want to share your soul with you they they want to feel the experiences of being alive and blah 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 blah. I'm like, get your own damn body. Um, <laughs> sorry, but you know it seems logical to me. Uh, you know they don't possess us. They they are here for our own good, and if we allow them this, then they will help us preserve the earth. Blah 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 blah. I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, if they really cared about us, they just help us preserve the earth. Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah. and then we could share. As if we wanted to, it's not a, Hey, if you don't want to destroy everything, come and let us, you know, take a little taste of your life and see what it's like. And and we'll be friends. And I'm like, you know, that just sounds wrong. And then sometimes he comes out and says they're dangerous and you shouldn't try to commune with them. I mean, he literally goes back and forth in the same books. And I mean, Keel is one of the ones he was like, who occasionally would say straight up they're demons. Yeah. Yeah. Because he'll he, consider he himself even, a demonologist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he would just come straight out and go, this is the action of demons. And the way he described demons, it was non-human intelligence. That's out to get mankind, mm-hmm. which isn't, you know, too far off. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. And in some cases that, that's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, anybody, and that's why I'm sympathetic to Streber in some sense, um, because that waffling is what you, uh, it's what you understand when you work with and encounter this stuff over many years. Um, you know, like in my practice, working with spirits and stuff, you learn that, uh, some of them are friendly and some of them aren't, yeah. and not all of them have their, your best interests in mind. And mm-hmm. some of them tell you stuff that you want to hear. And you have to approach it all. And, and most people aren't equipped or need to approach it at all. Like, I don't in, even really encourage people to do magic and stuff anymore, which is me changing my tune from a couple of years ago. Yeah. I, no, I feel like, you. I, I try to, you know. Yeah, because it, it's it's like, yeah, this stuff can be dangerous and people probably shouldn't mess with it. But, you know, some of us can't help ourselves. <laughs> Curiosity well, gets us every time. It can be dangerous, but it's is it, is it as dangerous as driving a car? Really? No. When you okay, think about no, it, no, not really. Not not in the immediate t- scale of time. No. Um, see, to me, most of the experiences I've had have been positive, and the negative ones have usually led to some sort of growth. So maybe mm-hmm. I'm an anomaly here, but like my my communications with these things, they seem to have basically always told me the truth and led me to good places. It's it's the same for other people too, Soraya. I mean, I'm kind of in the middle. Most of the time it turns out well. Sometimes I screw up real bad and, you know, dumb shit happens. <laughs> and Barbara did it, you know consequences of your inactions kid what'd you do that for sure <laughs> sure yeah and and, um, there, and there's certainly been times where i've been told stuff and i ignored it and then things went bad and i'm like okay well you did tell me well, yeah <laughs> you did say and I, I didn't listen and then i had to learn the hard way but i learned yeah i mean i've definitely had encounters that were wholly negative um mm. mostly during out-of-body experiences and stuff 
um, they were learning experiences in the sense that they like taught me what I was like capable of and what I could defend myself against. But it, it's not like the thing that was um, being aggressive was <laughs> like trying to teach me anything. It was just trying to have lunch. Are you, um, are you sure though? Maybe, um, maybe it was, it was, it was trying to pull that out of you. Well, maybe, I mean, I have had experiences that were obviously like a learning kind of experience, right. Where something was like, uh, trying to teach me a lesson. I've had those too. I, I, cause I think that, you know, it's, it's like an ecosystem of yes. entities, right? Like some of them are just animals and some of them are people. Like some of them have like thoughts and, and feelings and, and histories and stuff. Some of them are just, just wild animals. And you kind of know when you encounter that, you know, they're not all of like the same level of complexity. True. True. Well, humans are like that too. Yeah. yeah. Some of us are generally good and we generally don't do any harm to anybody. I mean, not you know, we might, yeah, not on, not on purpose. Exactly. Um, and then, you know, there are people who just get off on being cruel. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just what some people do. And then most people are in between those two. And most you people know. don't think they're the bad guy. No. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had rewatched the movie Falling Down recently because it's been a long time since I've seen it. And uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's about this guy who just basically the little things finally get to him and he goes nuts and tries to fix everything while trying to get back home to his family who doesn't want him there because he was kind of abusive. So he's a very complex character. And at the very end, he, he, he gets confronted by the cop. And one of the things he says, he looks at him, he goes, wait, I'm the bad guy? Yeah. And I'm like, that that right there, I think, sums up a lot of people where, yeah, they're the bad guy, but they don't think they're the bad guy. They don't realize what they're doing is harmful because they're not seeing it that way. Yep. Yeah. I know lots of people like that. Most of them are in my family. I understand. <laughs> That's not good. Oh, yeah. Sorry, there was another element of this I wanted to uh, discuss, which I, I'm probably going to work this into my presentation uh, this year at Strange Realities. But it's something that uh, I've got some tantalizing bits of, but I'm still trying to like pull on some of these threads and find some more sources. So this is very scant at the moment. Uh, so people, please excuse my my lack of sources on this stuff. But um, when I was in uh, Scotland earlier this year on my vacation, I was reading um, Andrea Puharik's Beyond Telepathy, which is an out of print book um, where Puharik's just talking about like psi research and stuff. Um, it's a pretty cool book. He, he like really goes heavy into like formulas and, and like tries to form this whole like scientific idea that the paranormal. Um, I since I am not a mathematician or a physicist, I have no way of knowing if what he's saying is BS or not. Um, but there, there's an interesting bit at the very end where he's talking about the relationship of weather, uh, like local weather to psi, like a, a efficacy of psi. Oh. And uh, he talks about how like storms and like thunderstorms and stuff uh, can interrupt or let's like interfere with psychic ability. Mm -hmm. And as a, um, as a supporting argument in, in this, he brings up that similar things are found in the Lesser Key of Solomon, which was like that kind of like hit me in the face like a brick because I was like, wait, Andrea Paharic was like familiar with the Lesser Key. <laughs> right. He's not he's not bringing this up for like no reason. Right. And then I connected that with uh, if anybody's listened to um, 
Doc Future, uh, Michael Bennett's uh, old show, Future Quake. Um, I think it's what it's called. Future Shock, Future Quake, something like that. He, he did an interview with uh, with Ray Boucher. And this is like in the early 2000s. And uh, Ray Boucher mentions he's like telling uh, he's telling Doc Future about all of these like crazy experiments that um, were being run in regards to interacting with these entities. And he talks, he doesn't use the words Goetia or like he doesn't bring up the lesser key. But what he's talking about is like, uh, I think he says the CIA was doing it, but he's definitely talking about like ritual magic and, and conjuring these entities. And he specifically talks about how they were using EVP stuff to communicate with them, like like Estes method stuff that's gotten popular recently. Um, and that the research actually drove a couple of the researchers insane and like they committed suicide and it was kind of shut down after that. But it really makes me wonder, like, how much of an occult angle is there here? Because... I don't know if people realize this, but the whole UFOs are are actually beings from another dimension and or like these sinister things. Um, this because let me step back real quick. The Collins elite also believe that in 1947, when Jack Parsons and Elrond Hubbard, the Babylon working, that is what like opened the door. Right. And allowed all these things in. Um, mm. In a similar vein, in Kenneth Grant's Outside the Circles of Time, uh, Kenneth Grant sort of makes the same argument. And he made th- and I think that was first published in 1980. So this is before uh, the Collins elite stuff in the early 90s really starts to pop off. And he also claims that um, the Trinity test is also kind of like what opened the door to That's, the other. Yeah. yeah. And that that gets brought up in Twin Peaks season three. <laughs> And uh, but it, it originates with Kenneth Grant. And as far as I can tell, that's where that's the origin of that meme. Um, I don't see that anywhere previous to him. Um, and I am pretty convinced that there was some knowledge of like magical texts. Um, I would bet money that Beharic, if Beharic had a copy of the Lesser Key, it would have been Crowley's edition of the Lesser Key which means that they were familiar with Crowley and probably would have been like led from Crowley to Kenneth Grant in the eighties. Um, so these ideas that the Collins elite have about UFOs and, and aliens and stuff are, are probably a direct mimetic line back to Kenneth Grant and specifically outside the circles of time. Hmm. But I'm, I'm still kind of working on this. I don't know if you guys have thoughts on that. I was going to pop off with, I'm pretty sure Trinity is the key. I think um, saying that it was the Babylon working puts way too much credit into the <laughs> hands of Jack Parsons and uh, his his little group there. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think a hole was blown into and out of our reality. A literal piercing of a veil in an explosive fashion. And it didn't start at, at Nagasaki and uh, Hiroshima, it started here, Trinity. Well, can you, I mean, think about it. If, if you, you're building a bomb, you're not quite 100% sure what it's going to do. You know it's going to be bad. But, I mean, literally, it, it could have basically unzipped reality in a very messy way. And it did it in the United States. And nobody warned anybody who lived around it because, of course, they were trying to keep it so secret because it was wartime. Mm-hmm. And so we essentially sacrificed our own people. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Nothing new there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, human the U.S. has been doing that since forever. But yeah. essentially, if you look at it, though, from a magical perspective, these were innocents who were sacrificed. Yeah. And all of the people who were downwind of that, who later came down with cancer because of, you know, radiation spewed all over the place, they also were innocent. And so it's, it, it is kind of a, for whatever reason, my, my, my focus is on Trinity and then the, the two explosions that happened after that, that somehow we ripped a big giant hole and man, we created food for a lot of stuff. I mean, it's not like UFOs have never been around before. Well, that's what I, I was going to say. Yeah, I mean, did, they, did anything they've really been around change? Forever. What, Maybe what you, new new guys came into the uh, equation. But what, what Maybe you, we destroyed a lot of them. That that's also and, a possibility. And it made them mad. I, I think it it definitely drew attention to us. Um, I, I know this is another thread that I've been pulling, but in, in uh, James Merrill's Changing Light at Sandover, um, some of the spirits that he's having conversations with via Ouija board are sort of like these. Uh, not ascended master type things, but they're like spirits that are not dead human beings. Like he's talking to extra human intelligences and they tell them that, you know, the earth is a greenhouse and that they feed on, you know, the energy produced by life on this planet. And that they were concerned about the nuclear weapons because the nuclear weapons destroyed the soul. Yes. It was right. like that, that they had noticed that after humans started experimenting with, with nuclear energy at all, like by splitting the atom in any sort of way, that like the, um, the souls of like physicists, right, who had worked closely with radioactive material, like their souls had been um, deteriorated and like, like it was some sort of corrosive force. Yeah. And, uh, I think this comes up in Burroughs, too, where he talks about yes. the atom bomb sort of being like it's a soul, soul killer. Yeah, soul killer. As well See, as that, the key from Streber. Yes. Um, I was listening to um, Material. It's a, a trip hop group, I think. Maybe something else. I don't know. But they have uh, Seven Souls by William S. Burroughs as part of the song or the music, piece of music. And I was listening to that one night and, you know, Burroughs says that the energy from a, an exploded nuclear bomb is a soul killer. And now it doesn't just kill bodies. It destroys the souls of the victims. Mm -hmm. And in my brain, <laughs> I went, well, you know, an EMP wave could disrupt energy. Mm -hmm. And if some of the and souls are generally energy. Mm -hmm. Well, what about the non-human spirits floating around, being themselves, living in their living their lives? Mm -hmm. They're getting ripped apart by it too. Well, no wonder they always talk to the contactees, like, "Hey, can you stop with the nukes? It's bad." Yeah. You know, Mother Mary says, "Hey, stop with the nukes. It's bad." <laughs> you yeah. Know, over and over. Yeah, and especially if they're sort of dependent on us. See, I think like the whole idea of this being a greenhouse. Um, and us being fed on. I, I think that that idea is filtered through our own um, human lens as, but you know, as we consume animals and plants and stuff to, to live, I think we, we tend to see the universe in that same lens. But I know I talked to you, Sarai, about how Archive 81 had got me thinking about myths and stories and how these entities may sort of be literally woven of like stories and myths. 
Yeah. Um, that sort of imaginal energy. And it may be the case that they require us to not blow ourselves up uh, because they wouldn't exist without us. Yeah. Their entire existence depends on there being humans on the planet to, like, create stories for them. Muses. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, my way of looking at these things is that they are probably in a wavelength of energy that we're not able to perceive most of the time. So yeah. I would think an atomic bomb would also mess that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, there's, there's interesting parallels, too, with some of the, the astroarchaeology stuff, too, like the um, evidence that, that Mars was nuked yeah. to oblivion like several million years ago. Um, and what if, yeah, like nuclear weapons kind of are the ultimate sort of weapon right they they not only destroy uh you know physical forms but they also destroy spirits too um but do but do you have i don't know uh how can i put this is there evidence to point to a shift in the way these things interact with us pre and post trinity i mean you definitely have a ufo flap in the united states post 1947 mm-hmm. um now like you said Soraya. I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that it's what let them in, but I think it, it's almost like you kicked a hornet's nest, you know, it got yeah. stirred up <laughs> um, because, you know, you definitely have, I mean, you know, uh, if you read Passport of Magonia, you know that we're people have been seeing weird stuff in the sky since humans were able to record. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's not like these things have always been with us. Um, but I, I definitely think, yeah, it was like, like, like kicking a hornet's nest. Hmm. I think I, 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 I think it. it was sometime after 1947 that they started really emphasizing space in their messages to us. Mm-hmm. And that's when they started really trying to get our idea, our heads around, oh, we're from space, we're from space. You know, space, the final frontier, y'all. That's <laughs> that's that's what we're doing, you know. That's because you do see that whole idea of things from space, things from space and, you know, science fiction really got into it. But I mean, there were people seeing and contacting, uh, ether ships back in the 1930s. And you know, that it, it wasn't from space. It was from the ether. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was inspiring them to, you know, make really cool paintings and stuff. So, I mean, that's sort of like that was almost makes me wonder. It almost makes me wonder if the idea of them being from outer space, we don't we don't take that too literally or we we take that too literally because um, something a kick I've been on lately is this idea that that like space is the underworld that like, Mm. you know, indigenous people. I think the indigenous Australians say that like the stars are the campfires of the ancestors. Yeah. And. This idea that even you even see this in, in like Greek culture, especially Dionysian stuff, that souls kind of go to the heavens after they die. You don't necessarily go on. We call it the underworld, but it's not necessarily underground, um, but that the underworld is actually the, the night sky. And in that sense, these spirits who are maybe from the underworld and maybe are have something like Schreiber says, uh, something to do with the human dead. Um, they are coming from outer space. It's just not the outer space that we think of literally. It's, yeah, it's right. more 
this this metaphorical sense like they come from the heavens in general yeah i looked it up and there have been over 2000 nuclear bombs detonated over the course of our history which needs to freaking stop my god i think how many mo- times now? i think mostly they have i don't think you see a, a yeah, lot of nuclear th- tests not, anymore they're not testing them like they were but I, I remember even as a kid that there were they were still testing stuff, and I was like, "Have you not figured it out yet?" Yeah. Um, well, I think Russia like, detonated guys? the biggest one. Yeah, yeah. Tsar Bomba. Which is again, you know, at this point we can annihilate the planet ten times over. What what are you testing for? Yeah, yeah. I know, right? And now you got I have these- a new idea. Let's test not doing any of that. <laughs> <laughs> Just stop. <laughs> Um, you know, and it's not even like they're being armed to say, take out asteroids coming this way or, or reposition them or something. Which would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. Except with our luck, it'd, you know, explode in the atmosphere and there we'd be. And- yeah. 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 Well, I, I, mean, I, I certainly I, tried to find ways to repurpose them. I mean, that's why, uh, there were plans to use them to do natural gas fracking out in the Southwest. Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, and that's what probably led to cattle mutilation stuff because, uh, oops, we might have uh, irradiated thousands of like heads of cattle, uh, but we can't we can't tell these ranchers that we might have done this because then we'll be liable, you know, yes. for all these expensive uh, all these expensive animals. So um, we're just going to go run out. around and pretend to be UFOs, and we'll test yeah. a few of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, those are, there's also a few of those outlier cases that don't seem like they could have been done by humans. Yep. And then you're like, okay, so is there something else here or are these stories not true? I mean, it's easy to say, well, these, you know, the really weird ones just aren't true. But we don't know. Well, I mean, there's there's been cattle mutilation types of events in, in Britain, except it's not cattle. It's sheep yeah. and horses. And there was a and, there was a, a point I know John Keel talks about it where like dogs and cats were getting cut in half. Yep, yep, I remember those cases back in the um, 70s and 80s. There was a wave of it in in West Virginia, and yeah, that was really upsetting. Yeah, because like I love animals, and I was you know fairly young at the time, and but there was a wave of it in Charleston sometime in that time period because. Yeah, it was really awful. And was there ever a good explanation offered of? Nope. Nobody caught anybody. And how would you do that? I mean, that's not an stopped. easy thing to do. I know, right? Yeah. I mean, I would assume that it was people doing it, though. I figured it was, too. But, you know, you want to know who's doing that, because that's like ramping up, like, serial killer behavior kind of yeah. stuff. You kind of want to catch them early. Man, that's a that's a dark rabbit hole that I've been going down lately. Um, that I am not sure where I land on it yet. Uh, but after I read a program to kill last year, and um, you know, I don't necessarily agree with McGowan on a lot of stuff, but it definitely got me looking back again at like satanic panic type stuff, which I had largely completely written off and like sort of recoiled at. I feel like a lot of people do and see it as, you know, just hysteria or whatever. Um, but then you actually dig a little bit into some of it and it's like, okay, some of it was something maybe actually legitimately dark and weird going on. 
Um, really? But it's very hard to sort of suss out what's real and what's not when you start getting into that stuff. Well, yeah, yeah because you saw a lot of a lot of kids being who not didn't have complaints being hypnotized and basically led into yeah. saying things. Oh yeah, listen to the listen to the transcripts or read the transcripts, and it's terrifyingly obvious. Which yeah. means they're the ones actually causing these kids the trauma over something that never happened, but now they believe did. Yeah, that's. I keep meaning to do an episode about the Satanic Panic because, yeah, I I kind of almost was a a uh, victim of that, and uh, no, <laughs> wow. no, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, getting this creepy. stuff like, well, like, how do you feel about like the Henry Lee Lucas stuff? Who's um, Henry Lee Lucas? He's a so he, murderer. Yeah, he was a serial killer, and he claimed that he was trained uh, by this satanic cult uh, called the Hand of Death um, in the Florida Everglades, and they were the ones who like taught him how to kill, and he was like carrying out stuff for them, like both kidnapping and murder. Hmm. Um, and it's very odd, but then there are not necessarily corroborating things going on, but then there's like, like, I just found out, uh, you know, Wayne Williams, who is, uh, uh, sort of charged with the Atlanta child murders and stuff, um, mm -hmm. back in the eighties or it was in the seventies. It was, it was early eighties as I recall. So Wayne Williams later in his life wrote this autobiography where he was talking about, uh, in the in autobiography, he was, he said that he was trained by like the CIA at this like facility in the woods of like North Georgia when he was like 16 or something. Um, and, but then later during an interview with, I think Soledad O'Brien, he wouldn't like talk more about it and said that he couldn't talk more about it. And that, you know, what he wrote was true and that was all he was going to say. Mm, um, and he, after being badgered a bit, he kind of like opened up a little bit about it and talked about, you know, being trained in weapons and close combat and stuff like in his sort of like woods training camp with like other teenage kids. And it's like, well, that's crazy. There's nothing like that that could have existed, right? But then you look it up, and it, it did actually exist. It was like an ex-CIA guy who was like a former OSS operative who established this like sort of J-O, like JROTC thing in the woods of North Georgia where he was like training teenagers and like military stuff. Huh. It, it, it's so weird. And it's like, what do I make? I don't know what to make of this. You yeah. know, it's like I... I don't even know where to go with it because it's it's so it's so weird and, and creepy. Well, the thing about I'm not saying you can't believe anything a serial killer says. I'm not mm -hmm. saying that, um, but they do often have this story that they want to tell that mm -hmm. lives in their head mm -hmm. that makes what they do okay. Mm. And I don't doubt that maybe they had some kind of weirdo training. Right. Mm -hmm. That could happen. I, I'm I'm not saying that there aren't crazy gun nut people living in the woods somewhere training people for cash. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I grew up in Appalachia. I'm <laughs> probably related to some of those guys. Um, but I would I would see most of what's being said by the serial killers in, in question as a kind of this is my mythology and yeah. this is what I tell myself. And it's a good story, you know, because, you know, people can be serial killers and not really be crazy. Right. Oh yeah. They just are broken enough that they can do these things, but they make up stories in their heads. And those are the stories they tell. Yeah. I, I had a friend who studied serial killers for, uh, 
a play that she was writing and, and, you know, she was like, Hey, you should read this. And so I read a big stack of books and then I was like, Hey, you know, I really kind of hate you now. <laughs> Cause you made me read this. Thank you. you read out for him to kill. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, McGowan's whole like thesis, right. Is that they're at least the majority, like there, there are actual like serial killers. I mean, they're like historical people and sometimes oh, yeah. There are actual serial killers, but the majority of the serial killers, especially during the big wave and like the 70s and 80s, um, weren't uh, necessarily like working alone or, you know, in some cases they may have been victims of like mind control type experiments and stuff like you look at several serial killers who all spent time in psychiatric like army. They were all ex-military and they all spent time in like the same army psychiatry hospital in west germany (laughs) it's like oh that's not suspicious or anything yeah it's like all these guys they come back home uh after their you know tours or whatever and all of a sudden they start killing people like it's it's weird and you know like i like i said i don't necessarily agree with mcgowan on everything he gets really into the weeds with a lot of like numerology and and occult stuff he gets like kind of like James Shelby Downard-ish with with some of his ideas, but the the actual main thesis, like I'm not that opposed to. And anyways, my my big point was that like the, you know the animal murders and stuff like that. Sometimes I do wonder if there is more to some of that than I think uh, a lot of people like myself are willing to admit. You know, because we don't want to like we don't want to edge into like fundamentalism. Or or satanic panic type stuff, but nor do we want to point fingers at ourselves by accident. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because yeah, absolutely. I, it's so funny. Like um, sometimes my my girlfriend be watching like Dateline, and there'll be like a, an occult murder kind of thing on there, and it's always just like some guy who had like metal posters in his room and maybe yep. like some books magic and stuff. And it's yep. like good lord, if I'm ever suspected of any kind of crime like that, I am so screwed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the West what? Memphis three is a perfect oh, yeah. example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, and, and when you go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh no, go ahead. I was going to say, when you look at these, these psychological studies that are coming out, they're showing that people who listen to aggressive music tend to be more, uh, well balanced psychologically because they have an outlet for that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's been numerous studies now that have come out saying that it's like, yeah, when you, if you listen to metal growing up, you're probably more well balanced than your peers who didn't. So it, I can see it, that. Yeah, it kind of does the opposite of what you know it was always claimed to be, which was, oh, this is going to make people do bad things. Instead, it's like, oh, I'm angry. I'll listen to this angry music. Oh, well, now I don't feel so angry anymore because I got it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I head banged it away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, repeated motion, very frenetic. Emotional overload, no more. Oh, and, how did that happen? And 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 oddly, you know, and it doesn't always seem to make sense to people. But if I'm depressed, sometimes listening to depressing music makes me feel better. Yep. Like it's something about the fact that it, like it connects, and then like it it improves my mood. <laughs> yeah. Yep. My girlfriend always uh, makes fun of me because I listen to like like spooky atmospheric music, like when I'm driving in the car, or, like I'm going on walks and stuff. Um, but it's like, I don't know. It it's kind of puts me at ease. Like, I kind of like, like listening to stuff like that. You know, look how hard yeah. they, they tried to blame uh, Columbine on, you know, Marilyn Manson and KMFDM. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. like, yeah, there was a lot more going on here. This wasn't about the music they listened to. No. Man. No. They were bullied and treated like shit by everybody. Yeah. And that's what did it. Look, all I want to know about Columbine is is who the third person on the roof was and why there were multiple students who said that there were other shooters other than Dylan and Eric, who like mm. that was sort of like swept under the rug and nobody talks about that anymore. Maybe it was just confusion in the moment. I don't know. Yeah. But, but the police definitely saw a third person on the roof with a gun and that what it was not Dylan or Eric. And that is sort of all, it's sort of similar to the Oklahoma city thing with the John Doe who yeah. is like seen yeah. by like four different people with Timothy McVeigh, but then is completely dropped in the investigation. Yep. Yeah. There, yeah. There, there's a bunch of weird stuff with the Oklahoma bombing. Yeah. I'm, I'm still meaning to read Wendy Painting's book, uh, Aberration in the Heartland, which is all about Timothy McVeigh. I have not read that yet. I've been meaning to for like a year. I need to just buckle up and read it. But I know a lot of people who really like that book, and it sort of blew up last year. I think a lot of different podcasts were like covering it and having her on as a guest and stuff. Mm. But yeah, it, it talks a lot about some of the weirdness surrounding McVeigh and, and that bombing and everything and how, how, much, un, how much unanswered stuff there is still about that yes yes uh and i believe if i'm remembering right from a documentary i watched there's actually footage of them removing bombs from the building yeah that didn't go off that shouldn't have been there in the first place yeah there were demolitions uh experts who said that the, the given given the materials used to make the bomb that they used it should not have yielded that level of explosion yeah that it was anomalous but yeah i don't know people this kind of stuff can get people like fired up so i don't want to go too much into it. oh yeah. i know yeah. we will start yeah. some this is a very some, sensitive topic yeah yeah um the other the other thing i was going to draw a comparison to was back in the 80s when people were saying that uh heavy metal would cause you to kill yourself and and what do they cite <laughs> Suicide Solution from Ozzy, which is a song about how, you know, excessive drinking can kill drink. you. Yeah. And and I always looked at that when, if you even read the lyrics, you would realize this is not a pro-suicide song. Like, it, it's a, it, it's not a pro-suicide. It's an anti-drinking. Yeah. I, I was like, what's wrong with Ozzy, y'all? <laughs> and Jeez. why, and, and with there being actual pro-suicide songs out there. Yeah. Why would you pick yeah. this? Yeah. I mean, while we're at it, you know, the, the Heathers. The Heathers? Can you imagine that film being made today? <laughs> Nobody I, uh, would allow that film to get made. I don't even remember I, Heathers. It's been so long since I've watched it. Yeah, it's, it's wild. It's, yeah. Now, I mean, now there's a musical of it, and I'm like, okay, that didn't need to happen. I'm sorry. Just, <laughs> my kid is, my kid Fox is really into musicals. And I'm just like, no, kid, no, not that. No, stop. No. Have you ever seen um, the, I'm trying to remember, the Alexander or something. Uh, it was a movie called If uh, that had Malcolm McDowell as like one of his first big roles. Mm, no, I haven't seen that. It's, uh, God, what is the name of the guy? Hang on a second. It's uh, Lindsay Anderson who wrote it and directed it. And what, what's it. the name of it? Um, it's just called If, like if dot dot dot. Oh, okay. And uh, I don't yeah. want to spoil anything, but yeah, it's also a movie that could never be made now a day. Okay. <laughs> huh. But it's a, like a Malcolm McDowell being in this like um, 
like sort of British like boys school. It's like a satire of um, boys school public like a sort of public school life. Okay, cool. I have to watch that. I've never heard of this. Huh. Yeah, it got a re-release like I don't know, like ten years ago or something. But yeah, I watched a long time ago. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Mid-show break here, and uh, I'm going to start out with some contact info. And of course, uh, if you want extra content all month long, become a patron. It's only three bucks. Helps the show out greatly. So uh, if you like what you're hearing, that's the best way best way to help out. And uh, yeah, like I said, there's extra content pretty much every week, sometimes more than once a week. Uh, I have some extra special stuff I throw in there once in a while. Uh, as far as contact, everything can be found at whereattheroadgo.com, including the link to become a patron. And uh, there are links to all our social media, Facebook, Facebook page, uh, group, uh, what used to be Twitter. Uh, you know, there's our discord, uh, everything, YouTube, it's all there. And if you want to submit a story for one of our listener stories episodes, it's stories at where did the road There's also a contact tab that will give you all of that info as well. So my recommendation for this week, um, something I haven't recommended, but we've talked about on the show, uh, believer podcast believer. And uh, this is done by Julie Saunders, who I've actually had on the show. It's actually Believer, a Paranormal Mystery. And uh, I'm recommending this particularly now. Not only is it a great podcast, and I realized I hadn't actually recommended it at any point, as far as I know, uh, but there is a new season coming very soon. So uh, it's a good time to go check out the first season, which is, I mean, there's, there's Bigfoot stuff in there, and there's some really high strangeness stuff, and some Lovecraftian stuff. It's... I thought it was really, really good. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, even a uh, story from the point of view of her dog. So it's uh, it has some lighthearted moments, certainly, but it's also very dark. And the second season, I'm very curious where she's going to go with it. And if you look back in the, uh, the history of this show, you will find that she was a guest, and it was a very, very good conversation with her. Probably bring her back on after the sec- second season starts. We'll see. But uh, that's my recommendation. Believer, a paranormal mystery by Julie Saunders podcast. All right. And now we're back. So I'm here with Barbara Fisher and Ren Collier on Where Did the Road Go? Um, one of the things I wanted to bring up uh, since we were talking what all this, where all this disclosure stuff is going is how hilarious is it that the Mexican thing, uh, <laughs> what you call it, brings out a mummy that is obviously fake. Yeah. So obviously fake. Slick Jaime's at it again. (laughs) I mean, it's wild to me that after the Roswell slide stuff in 2015, that people took him seriously enough for him to pull the same crap in 2017 and then pull it again in 2023. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. It's like bonkers to me that people are still falling for this stuff. Honestly, most of the people that I've seen talking about this on like Twitter and other places have no idea who he is, right? They're just seeing the pictures and seeing the new story and being like, oh, I wonder if this is real or whatever. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are just like fun of it, but. Yeah, I've, I've seen enough people, you know, say, oh, but there were scientific studies of blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it looks like paper mache. <laughs> it probably yeah. is. I saw one person make a comment that was like they were making a joke about it, and they were like, "Why do these aliens always look like aliens from movies?" 
And yeah. then somebody was, uh, somebody replied to that and was like, well, it's because the people who make the movies know what's really going on or whatever. No. No, that, that's not it. <laughs> you're thinking about you're, that you're, old it's the complete opposite of what you think. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's really funny. It has been incredible meme material. I know I've, I've got a, um, a picture of the little alien face on my phone and it's made for some pretty good, uh, some pretty good jokes. But uh, overall it's, it's just, it's wild how easy it is to still grift um, these days in, yeah. in the paranormal. Because people don't look at the history of it. Yeah. yeah. Either they're just kind of vaguely interested in it and they see this thing and they're told, Oh, it's an alien, you know, an alien mummy. And they're like, really? Yeah. Or they should yeah. know better, but they just haven't done their research. And Sorry, this, uh, I know you like uh, pro wrestling. You know, how, yes. how similar to this do you, do you feel like it's like pro wrestling? Oh, where totally. pro wrestling, people who watch pro wrestling, like, they, they know that it's like not real, right? But they, they sort of like play along because it's fun. Right. I, I kind of feel like this is the same deal in a lot of this disclosure and UFO stuff where it's like these people know in their heart of hearts that this is BS, <laughs> but they're just playing along because it's fun. I, I, I feel like the way it's like pro wrestling is this. You can have a guy who's a face, you know, face is the guy everyone cheers for and loves, and they uh -huh. can make what's called a heel turn. Suddenly they're a bad guy, and then everyone hates them because, well, now, now, now they're the bad guy. <laughs> and then, like, you know, a few months later, they make a face turn, and now they're a face, and everyone loves them again. And it's like, yep. Yep. it's like, isn't this kind of what's happening in, you know, <laughs> this UFO stuff? Like, people just keep doing the same stuff. And. It it's really like, seems like it. Have you, have you not learned, you know? <laughs> like, and the thing with, with pro wrestling is, is yeah, it's, it's formulaic. It's a game. It's entertainment. And you, I can't look down on people for being entertained by it because it's entertaining. No. Um, but, but this UFO stuff, yeah. <laughs> I, I really, I'm like, guys, no, <laughs> no, you cannot see. Look at that and go. Oh, it's so real. It's yeah. not. I mean, this is the worst one yet. I think for it's what? really because it's yeah. not really made out of body parts like the Peru mummies. They, you know, scavenged actual human body bits and and I mean uh, that's terrible. Yeah, but at least it had sort of an anatomical look to it that was not completely messed up. Yeah. Yeah. It's Marx, baby. It's uh you know, history always repeats itself. First is tragedy, then it's farce. Yeah. You know? I remember back in the in the nineties when we had the alien autopsy, right? And there oh, was real yeah. that, right? That was that was a high production hoax. You know, really Well, but and that's one of the things Nick talks about in his Roswell book, that mm -hmm. it actually wasn't a fake video. It was a video of these uh, kids with these deformities that they would do high-altitude balloon tests on. Well, I believe that that's what really happened at Roswell, but I don't believe that the alien autopsy video was an, an autopsy of one of those kids. Yeah, so like, I, I agree with I, Nick's thesis about what uh, Roswell was, right. for sure, but, um, well, but yeah, I don't think the alien autopsy video itself was actually that. Uh, he wasn't the one that said it was real. It was someone he talked to who had very specific things that they did, like removing the, the lenses uh, oh, yeah. in, in the film. And he said, and they said, yeah, those lenses were put in 
to protect their eyes. Like they weren't supposed to die in these things. You know, they, they were, they knew that was a possibility and, and they would then test them afterwards. So they had these contact lenses in. And the woman said that what she saw removed were the exact contact lenses they were using. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, I don't, don't know. I don't know either. Because I assumed it, it was it fake. It really didn't look like a dead body. Yeah. And, and I did used to, you know, work at a med school. So I got to see some of those. And but it really didn't look right. It didn't look right to me either, but at least now I have a I have a question mark there where it's like, well, I mean, maybe it was a human um and they're just selling it as an alien. Yeah. I love that it 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 spawned a uh a really hilarious bit in a Stephen Chow movie. What was that? There was an autopsy of the celestial fairy that fell <laughs> to earth it's in the film i think it's in the film god of cookery but it might be forbidden city cop actually i think it's forbidden city cop um but it was set in the 19th century early 20th century and this being fell from heaven and stephen chow you know was the detective and he was you know like investigating it and it was it did this whole send up of the alien autopsy i i couldn't breathe i was laughing so hard <laughs> um i was crying it was so funny we actually had to stop the video and go back <laughs> so we could you know see all of it read all of the the subtitles so we'd get all of the the goodness it was it was pretty good and, you know, when you look through all that stuff and all the different stuff that's been floated as real and then, of course, turned out to be nonsense, that's why it's so hard to, to understand why so many people are still taking this seriously. Not the subject of UFOs, but the whole, you know, they're going to tell us anything. Oh, yeah. I, I do wonder about that. Again, trusting people. Uh, I was I was talking to a friend of mine who's not very well informed with this stuff. I mean, most of his stuff seems to come from like YouTube videos and uh, ancient aliens, but he was, you know, all pro disclosure. And I said, dude, they're not, they're not going to tell us anything. And he's like, well, that's, that's just because the government won't let them. And I'm like, no, not, not really. <laughs> and I said, and, and they're, they're not even aliens. He's like, no, they're interdimensionals. And I went, okay, we're done. I'm not having this conversation. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> You've yeah. now replaced the term extraterrestrial with interdimensional, and it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least extraterrestrial, we can say there's almost certainly life out there. Uh, we don't know if there's anything that's interdimensional. Yeah, we don't even know if other dimensions even exist. Exactly. At least, not, at least we don't have like proof of it. You know? Right. Yeah, right. we have plenty of theory. Hmm. You um, should have told him it was ultra terrestrials and to hush up. <laughs> he didn't know the secret. Uh, I mean, that's that's probably the better term. If they if they for for the way I look at it, if they exist alongside us, it's outside of our our ability to perceive. So yeah, ultra terrestrial would make more sense as a term. Crypto terrestrial, yeah, you know something like that. Although then the crypto bros will be like, oh, is that a new? No, it's not. <laughs> yes, every once in a while, someone will add me and I'll see crypto in their, in their, uh, you know, about me or whatever. I'll be like, oh, oh no, they're talking cryptocurrency. I thought they were interested in cryptids. Okay. <laughs> I thought they were interesting. <laughs> Gosh, look at me.
And then you have Ren, who's interested in both. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I do, uh, I do trade um, the, the digital things, but um, mostly because it's a twenty-four-seven casino, and uh, there are a lot of unsophisticated participants. <laughs> you sound like my friend Chris. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> Huh. It's a you know it's a it's a thing that you can buy and sell, and therefore I can trade it. Fair, all right. Bigfoot, you're talking about, right? Hmm? Bigfoot is what you're talking about, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm buying and selling Bigfoots in the black market. <laughs> um, Did you pick one up in Georgia from a freezer? <laughs> no, but I picked up a screaming alien from a freezer. Okay. One. Well, that's all right then. You, you picked up a what? The screaming alien. Oh, the screaming you know, for- alien. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the screaming alien is one of the, the, the best, worst ho- hoaxes. I yeah. still find it, it like kind of surreal that uh, Joe Matheny like, follows me on Twitter and sometimes like interacts with me. Because um, it's like like literally John Titor follows me on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I thought he had passed away. No, nah, he's still around. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's friends with a uh, Metcalf. Huh. Yeah, he's really cool. Like we we talk sometimes. I'm not on like know him really really well or anything, but it's just sort of surreal to me because it's like he's someone that I, I've definitely always like kind of admired and like thought was like a super cool person. And and yeah, it's just cool that he like thinks that I'm cool enough to like my tweets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, well, didn't he disappear for a while? Yeah. I mean, I think I. You know, I've I've only kind of like followed him. Uh, for a couple years now, but uh, I think he was kind of gone for a while. You probably have to like ask Metcalf or something. But um, the whole the whole reveal as him being the originator of like John T. Tour was um, only maybe like three or four years ago. Like um, one of my old internet acquaintances, uh, Kathor Jensen, wrote a whole article about it, um, where it sort of like revealed some of the stuff. Um, and it wasn't always Matheny, uh, but he was the originator of it. Like, yeah. He kind of like set it off and then other people like ran with it, but, but he was the original sort of. Cause I know, uh, I know it did know. a show on it and that, that was the, the thing is that he was at least the one who came up with it and started the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause I thought it was kind of like a collaborative myth making storytelling thing that he was doing with his friends. Cause I mean, you know, like, he's sort of the originator of the whole idea of like ARGs. Yeah. Huh. So, um, one of the things we, we were going to talk about here is the gin. Now, where are the gin coming into this whole equation? Did somebody bring them up? Yeah, Streber. Uh, okay, so Streber. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. As the gin by name. Um, which is interesting. I mean, Streber is also clear, too, that, you know, he by gin, he doesn't mean like demon, right? And in, in um, Islam, the gin aren't necessarily good or evil. They're just, they can be both. You know, there's some, they're they're like people. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think anytime you're dealing with the spirit world, I think they can be like people in that sense. Yeah. Well, they are people essentially, you know, they just aren't physical people like we think of as people. Yeah. They interact Um, differently. Yeah. And, and, you know, if they're energy based, then they don't have permanent bodies and all of that. Although the jinn do have bodies made of what's called smokeless fire. Yeah. Sounds plasmoid to me. Yeah. 
Um, it's interesting because I always thought, you know, that that Keel all but called them Jin. Mm-hmm. He all but called his ultra terrestrials Jin the way that he described them as they were, you know, these beings that were made primarily of a type of energy mm-hmm. and that they could take on temporary physical form mm-hmm. and they interacted with humans. Some of them were decent. Some of them were very indecent. Most of them just seemed to really get on you know, with their lives making fun of humans and messing with humans and just having fun with us. Um, but the history, the, what the the jinn in the Islamic countries are, I wish I could I could get this lady. She lives here in town, um, and she's Muslim. And she found out I was doing a uh, paranormal podcast, and she said, "You know, ghosts aren't ghosts. They have nothing to do with humans." Right. And I knew what she was going to say, and I yeah. said. Oh, I know. I, I said, I think most of the ghost hunters, what they're interacting with isn't human spirits either. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, we, we think it's the jinn. And there are jinn who are godly and they're Muslim. And then there are the ones who are ungodly. And she said, they follow shaitan. Mm-hmm. And she said, but then the ones in the middle are the ones who are meant to lead people astray or tempt us. Mm-hmm. And she said, but they're not demons. The ones who, who are with Shaitan, those are, those are like what Christians would call demons. Mm-hmm. She said, the ones who follow Islam, though, they're not what we would call angels. Those are angels. <laughs> so it was really funny. She said, I've, I've talked to so many Christians, and they go, so jinn are just like angels and demons. It's <laughs> like, yeah, I, I figure you've had that a lot. Too. <laughs> yeah, and I have to explain to them, no, we have angels, and they're called angels. Mm-hmm. And that's what they are. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, she said a lot of times if you have things going wrong in your house, if you have a poltergeist, what, you know, here in America you call a poltergeist, if you hear, you know, talking, stuff like that, it's a gin. And you either go through and do a cleansing on your house. And if that doesn't work, then you have the imam come and, you know, find out what the gin wants and, and he'll get it out of your house for you. I had a woman uh, back in 2018 send me a thing on jinn because she was Muslim. And she said, on the subject of jinns, there are different types. Uh, Ifrit jinn that can propel itself at great speeds in the sky. Jinns that can imitate the dead. Jinns that can enter objects. Jinns that can shapeshift. Jinns that can enter the body of people and animals. Jinns cannot Mm -hmm. alter their environment as they inhabit the same space as ours. Uh, that frustrates them as when a building or object is created in our world, it also appears in their world. Um, she said, hey, like the upside down world in uh, Netflix, Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Jins have certain advantages over man, and likewise, we do have advantages over them. Jin uh, are very popular explanation for weirdness nowadays, but I don't know how much people attribute to them as accurate to tradition. Uh, jinns were known to the Arabs even before the advent of Islam. Jims mm-hmm. could, jinns could be, I keep saying Jim. Jinns could be some uh, other sentient that Arabs call simply call jinn. Um, they're told in the Quor- Quran to be the original inheritors of the earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why they don't like us. Yeah, yeah. 
they were the first ones who had dominion over the earth. There's an interesting sort of uh, language aspect uh, to UFOs and stuff being called unidentified aerial phenomena now. Mm-hmm. Because in a lot of like occult traditions, the, the jinn are, um, are the same thing as like aerial spirits. Mm-hmm. Right? They're specifically referred as aerial spirits. They're, they're sublunar, so they're not from the heavens like an angel would be. Um, but they're also not from the underworld. They're not chthonic or infernal either. Um, they're spirits of the air. And um, yeah, it's sort of interesting. I, I doubt that that's why they're using the term un- unidentified aerial phenomena, but I like that there's like a resonance there. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought it was kind of weird that Keel didn't just come out and say they're gin, damn it. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's what they are, you know. Maybe, well, be- maybe because there was not a lot of popular literary material that he could point people towards. Yeah. I mean, he didn't want there, there was, I dream of genie. Oh, well, that's true. You know, cause, <laughs> cause that, that works. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I just found out not that long ago that gin, there's, there's a couple of traditions of gin where they inhabit thorny bushes. And mm. if you cut those down, you, you are then, in trouble with the gin, much like rowan trees and blackthorns for the fairies. Interesting. And, and they do have a lot in common, like like fairies, they will kidnap people. Um, they will help people sometimes. Um, you can make deals with them. You can, oh, they'll still, I think sometimes they stole cattle or milk, much like, you know, fairies and witches supposedly did in Europe. So it, they're interesting. It's an interesting thing to look at. And there's, you know, finally there's a lot of decent material out there that you can, you can read and um, look at the similarities and kind of go, hmm, I wonder. I just hope they don't decide, you know, if, if they are gin, if that's what's going on, that, you know, they don't decide, well, they're just demons. And because I think that's just, well. Well, I mean, from, from from an American perspective, I mean, they sound like demons. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows? I didn't realize Streber was the only one that brought that up because Streber's not necessarily a part of the disclosure thing, is he? I don't think so, really. I'm not sure why he was quoted in that article, but I think that he's maybe not necessarily like part of the in-group, but he's sort of within that same sphere of influence, I think. Hmm. Like, like you know, uh, she he's definitely got, he's definitely within that sort of um, Diana Pasolka sort of world. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which I think interlinks up with some of the more esoteric elements of like the Collins elite. Yeah. I mean, they, they have there's some a, members in common, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's people like crossover. There's a Venn diagram <laughs> happening yeah. and, be, be, and yeah. there's some overlap. People like who Ren? I think like Hal put off. Right? Ah, mm-hmm. Okay. Like yeah. mostly like the yeah. SRI folks. Maybe Our, Gary Nolan. For instance. Hmm. But there is a book called The Truth About Alien Abductions um, by Peter Howe and Moisha Kalman. And the first chapter of this book is not really about alien abduction per se. 
it's actually about Jen oh. uh, abduction. Because, <laughs> um, you know, I, st- I, I got one paragraph in and went, you're not talking about aliens. <laughs> Those aren't aliens, y'all. But uh, the very first chapter is called Magic Carpet Ride. And it's about a British fellow and his Iranian friend. This is pre-revolution. So it's in the, I think, mid-1970s. Yeah, it's in the mid-1970s, exactly. And they go out for a hike up in these mountains. Uh, They lived in Tehran. And as this man says, Tehran is not a pretty city. And so we tried to get out into nature as much as possible. And so... They they go up into these mountains and they walk until it's nearly dark and there are these shelters up in the mountains that, you know, anybody who's up there can stay the night. And so they, they're going to stay the night there. And there was also a shrine near the um, this shelter, which was a shrine to it's, it's a burial of one of the prophet's descendants. So you got a little graveyard action going here. And I'm like, ah, Jen are going to show up because they often live near places like uh, burials and cemeteries. Right. And so they, they do eventually go to sleep and they wake up and it says a few feet away stood three men. They were dressed from head to toe in black, rather like the SAS each carried a torch-like instrument, and the only feature that I can remember is their eyes. Slightly mongoloid, similar to those of the Turkmen in the northeast eastern part of Iran. But these eyes were much bigger and more lustrous. It was as though the upper part of their face was all eyes. And they were worried that it was the Shah's secret police. A reasonable worry, really. Right. Um, but they were they were taken by these men. They 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 said, "Pack your things, come with us." And they really were afraid they were going to get you know shot. But uh, no, they they ended up taking him along a path, and then after a few hundred feet, suddenly, inexplicably, we realized we were no longer on the path, but in some sort of room. Instead of stones and twigs under our feet lay a thick Persian carpet. It was as beautiful as any scene hanging in a bazaar or behind the windows on Ferdowski Avenue, the carpet center of Tehran. This sudden transformation elicited not the slightest tremor of surprise from us, which, you know, now <laughs> he's saying that was strange. It was all it seemed right to use the phrase my friend uttered after uh, long after the incident was over. The three men switched off their torches, and as soon as they did so, the whole place was bathed in the softest of lights. We were in the middle of what seemed to be an oval-shaped room and were invited to sit cross-legged on the floor. A screen took up the whole of one long wall. I call it that, yet it felt like we could have fallen through. We could see the branches of trees and past them the distant lights of the city. So this wall has translucent... um, has translucency to it that he can see the outside with. Well, they get, they get flown all around, um, which is right. Weird. They can see Tehran below them. They are gone for, it didn't seem like it was that long, but when they get out, it's 2 PM. They had been picked up around 2 AM. So they were gone for 12 hours. Hmm. It didn't feel like 12 hours. Um, it's, 
it, it basically nothing else really happened to them except that they saw all of these pictures on the screen that that they were overwhelmed by. Um, but they, you know, they were set down and let out. And when they were let out, the room was gone, the tent or room or whatever it was. This affected the British man so strongly. He, he, it pretty much changed his entire idea of what reality is. Wow. Because it had physical reality to it. He could feel the carpet. You know, they were sitting cross-legged on it, and he said he could, you know, he, he was trying to hold on to the carpet because he felt like he was going to fall out because it was it was fluid. The movement was very fluid, like it wasn't super solid. It was like it was fabric moving through space. Yeah. And uh, it really affected him, but it terrified his friend. And his friend wouldn't speak about it for years and years and years. And finally, his friend said, why don't you talk to this man? And he sent him to a Sufi imam. And the Sufi imam said straight up exactly what I'd been saying the whole time is, oh, those are jinn. <laughs> and he said, they are here to make us question. They are here to tempt us to come outside of our faith. They are tricksters and they like to play games with people. So... I, that, there it is. It's in a uh, it's an alien abduction book. When did that right come there. out? When did it come out? Let me see. And it's weird. Right after I agreed to do this, I started reading this book, <laughs> and I was like, "Wait a minute!" First published in the UK, nineteen ninety seven. Okay, so not real old. Not real old. Not real young. Hmm. In the middle. Well, we are out of time. Uh, Barbara, where can people find you? Uh, six degrees of John com. It's a six, like a number and the rest of it is spelled out. And, uh, you can also get me on email. It's see six D J K six, seven at gmail.com. All right. And, uh, Ren, uh, you can find me at little which has my contact info. If you want to get in touch with me. Um, I also run a, uh, a cult themed discord server people are on discord and they want to chat um and uh you can also find me on twitter at liminal bird and uh, same on blue sky all right cool thank you both thank you Thanks, i want to take a moment here to give a shout out to all of my patreons because of you this show continues to be possible and i want to give a special shout out to those of you pledging ten dollars or more greg ross Illuminati. Leanne Cherry, Matt in Delaware, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Christine, a blue second gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gaiaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Bright Rectangle, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy Incommunicable, CJ, Greg Parmenter, Diane B, MTK, Eric Citron, Eric Todd, History and Coffee, Jay, Jay Otto Bullet, Jack Huntington, James Lindsay, Janet Shaw Bins, Jim and Sophie, John Mattingly, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L, Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linda, Linz Jackson K, MJ Armstrong, Mark Bowley, Mark Brady, Mr. Weird, Ole Andre Olar, 
Paul Jeffries, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Schmooples, Devourer of Mortal Souls, Seed Person 1, Stacy Sherwood, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Vincent Trewell, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Annabelle Smith, Caroline Walker, TDT Skunkworks, a Crocodile, and Craig Sagastumi. Thank you all so very, very much. There is a Patreon extra, of course, for this show. So Patreons will be getting that in a few days. Again, if you want to become a patron, it's the best way to help out the show. $3 a month is all it costs. I have never raised that price since day one. And I don't really intend on doing so. So I want people to get the content. And again, that little bit, you know, it adds up and it helps out a great deal. All right, um, so there's that, and uh, I am going to be at Albatwitch, as far as I know this this year. That will be the 14th of October down in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Tim Renner, of course, will be there. Chris Ernst should be coming up. The plan is uh, to get there with some uh, DVDs and Blu-rays of the documentary that Chris filmed about me and Where Did the Road Go? So uh, you'll be able to get a hard copy of that, very cheap, if you come down and, and find me at AlbaTwitch. I'll be putting some on Tim's table as well, though I probably won't get there till the afternoon. Uh, I think it goes to like 5, and we're still working out uh, if anything might be going on afterwards. So, yeah, you can uh, come down and uh, meet me in person. Say hi, hang out. And that's the AlbaTwitch Day event in Columbia, Pennsylvania. All right, uh, to take you out, I'm going to go with some other, some more Psyche Corporation. Off Crypts and Codes, this is Pound of Flesh. I'll see you next time. With you, the questions dig into my tongue. I'm fighting for answers that murder me.
have been listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support. <laughs>